and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. My guest today is Steve Bennett. He is the Head of Growth and Strategy, Employee Experience Solutions for Qualtrics in APJ, leading a team of specialists in guiding organizations to optimize the employee experience at every point in the employee life cycle. Steve is one of the region's most experienced EX specialists, having played a crucial role in launching and developing the experience management category in APJ. Hey, Steve. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Hey, Adrian. It's exciting to be here with you. I'd like to start by helping everyone understand what exactly is employee experience. How did it actually come about? I did a quick check on Google recently, and there are actually 700 million hits on employee experience. Why is it exploding right now? Wow. I was just thinking back to a few years ago when I did that same thing on Google, probably about seven years ago. And you probably would have had about 11,000. So significant difference. And you're right. There's been a massive explosion in the last 10 years and certainly in the last five years around employee experience. And so probably the easiest way to think about it and bear with me on this story, there's probably two force factors that are going on and enforcing elements that are they're pushing us into this world of employee experience. And the first one is that startup culture that we saw many years ago with a lot of the tech companies. And in particular, when we saw them creating their culture and their organization, they were trying to do things very different and they were trying to do things different and edgy compared to the corporate world. And so you had the people like Patty McCord from Netflix or Mark Levy from Airbnb really start to articulate that there are key experiences within the employee journey that we need to make sure that we do them really well. We want to do them differently to other organizations. And that really started to help them differentiate themselves from the market that allowed them to attack, uh, uh, allowed them to attract and retain some of the key talents that allowed those organizations to really become great organizations they are today. And that second force factor that we saw coming about was this whole move to real-time feedback. And so real-time feedback is where I'll use a digital platform like say Qualtrics to go out and reach out and get feedback from my employees and using the platform, I can instantly process that data, analyze it, and then create actions off the back of it straight away. And so when that came about, that allowed people to think more broadly than just say an annual engagement survey. It allowed them to think about what are the metrics, what are the feedback do we want to get from people through these different experiences we've been creating that can help us enhance those experiences and even go, on a, go a step further into how could I design them in a better way or even um, improve them to really get some dramatic impact around those. And so they're the, the two forcing elements that we saw coming together that created this notion of employee experience and the other spin out from that which is actually employee experience management, which is the management of all those different experiences and enhancing of those as they go forward. And so it's one of those things now where you know, we need to look at everything from just the moment somebody's thinking about interacting with our organization, all the way to when they become an alumni of your organization. Every single experience there, 
We want to hone in on those. We want to uh, we want to amplify them, and we want to make them in the way that's right for your organization. And so that's where the world of employee experience has come about. And it's certainly, and I mentioned before, this shift from this old world of employee engagement into this new world of uh, and a holistic approach of employee experience has been really critical. And the last thing I'll point out with that, and I said there were two forcing elements within this, and I'm going to add a third one here. Sorry, I said two earlier on. Let's add a third one in here. And that is the, what happened in March last year, where we saw with uh, the pandemic and everybody needing to transform their organization and go remote in a lot of circumstances, or they needed to stay on site very differently. And suddenly the experiences people were having were very different and they needed some type of real-time platform to be able to reach out to people, gather the information on that experience, and then pivot and help their employees as they were going through. And so we saw this very significant shift into the world of employee experience, definitely in the last two years, where it's become very mainstream, which is probably why you're seeing those Google hits that you were mentioning before dramatically increase from the seven years ago when I first checked in on how many people are talking about employee experience. But there's, there's been a number of extra things that come about from that now with the war of talent kicking in for people really striving for wanting differences and different ways of working. It's really allowing organizations to drive into that world of employee experience. So you're seeing a number of different of the world's largest brands really taking forth uh, and, and double down on employee experience as their market differentiator. And you pointed out a few times that it actually allow companies to get a regular pulse or real time of what is happening at the ground with their people. And is that just unique to getting pulse survey from the people? Because I can imagine for an employee to go through many different touch points with the organization, it may go beyond just a pulse survey. But what about the systems that they interact with? Would that be a key focus point for companies to look at as well? Yeah, you've, it's spot on around that, Adrian. When we're thinking about this, the original way people were thinking about measuring with employees was through that annual engagement survey. As I mentioned before, the fact that people had to manually process the data, it resulted in huge lag in the time to access the results from that data to then make, create some impact. And so what we saw with real-time platforms like Qualtrics coming online, people were allowed to reimagine what insights they could get from their people. And so you would, you, the first move that we saw was people going from collecting these annual feedbacks to now having the ability to collect it quarterly, which was great because they could sit there and say, I can collect this data and find out how engaged my employees are, what's driving that engagement. And then that survey can finish on a Friday at 5 p.m. And at 5.01, the results can be available to my managers to now go and do something with that and create those actions. So they've now got another two months or three months to do those actions and, and really implement it. And then move into the next time to check in to see, have we moved that needle? And that's been really critical. Now, what also happened then is people was, the managers were getting this thirst of getting real-time data. Now that meant that like their financial data, which they have a ton of it, ton of operational data that they can go and really leverage their business off. They're now starting to have this people data coming in. And managers love the idea of using data to go and drive key actions and behaviors in the organization. And so that's where you start to see people wanting to understand what's happening in onboarding, what's happening when somebody first starts on that first day, and that, what's that sense of belonging like for that person and collecting that data. So that's one way around that. But also, as you mentioned before, the systems and you're seeing technology like 
the people using Zooms and, and Teams and all that sort of stuff to video conference in and what's that interaction like? What's the technology experience like and how that's impacting on employee experience is another avenue and area that people are going and exploring. So there's a number of different ways people are using this. And I think this is the, the key thing around this is we need to open our eyes up to it's not just a collection of data. It's about where we're going out and reaching out to our employees to collect that data from. So whether that's intercepting them in their workflow through on the internet or on the apps that they're using, et cetera, it's really about getting them in that moment, understanding the experience that they're having and the impact on that. That's going to be really critical for organizations as they're moving out of, for right now, even out of this post-pandemic space. I like a reference to the financial data because for the accountants or the finance department, they actually have a lot of real-time data on their hand, which allow them to do a lot of decision-making very differently compared to the HR data that many companies tend to have on an annual basis. By the time you try to make reference to those data, they are already obsolete and outdated. For the companies that you guys are working with that have implemented your uh, EX systems, how are they making use of this data? Are, are there studies or reports to show the kind of changes, the kind of improvements that they have brought about to their organization because of the existence of real-time data? Oh, absolutely. There is a ton of amazing data being created and impact happening as a result of this. And so just touching on that notion around the financial data versus what we'll call experience data, the financial data, like you said, is really great. It allows you to sit in a point in time and understand what's happening with a company. And you can, and that people are tracking that rigorously over time. And it's, I'd say it's, it's a little bit of a lag indicator than real time, but it's there and it's really impactful for them. And I always ask employees and managers to think about a world where you only have that financial data once a year, and then you've got to go and make business decisions off that once a year data point, and you won't find out for another year what that's. And that kind of gives them a moment to like, oh, that's what's been going on in our people data. This is why we're finding this really hard to understand what's happening with our people because we're not bringing it in real time. And so with that move, that movement into real time, it's allowed organizations to really engage and enable their employees. And so some of the financial stuff that we see is you get up to 4.5 times more revenue growth than you, than those who don't have an active employee experience program in place. You also find that it really drives improvements across every little area. So everything from a macro space, like the onboarding I've mentioned before, or even the experience of somebody coming back from maternity leave, you're seeing all these different areas starting to improve. And that ultimately impacts on your employee engagement, employee retention, et cetera. It also allows you to uncover and respond to issues in moments, you know, where they really do matter. And you allow the employees to really connect and, and co-create kind of what they're doing and, and where they're going in their overall creating of a high performing or an inclusive culture, which is going to be really critical. But let me give you, let me give you a couple of examples that I'm thinking of here. Standard charters, great example out in your market around this, these type of programs where they've sat down, they've thought about how do we take a system-wide, organizational-wide EX program and really build that out into a, in a really great space. And so they went and uh, created this continuous listening program with their employees and not just their employees, but also with their customers. So that's the key thing here to remember is we have both customer and employee experiences running parallel here in most organizations. And so they were able to democratize the access to that data to all of their people and their businesses. So leaders 
We're using that data to create impact immediately. And so what they found instantly was engagement was starting to trend upwards. And they were starting to really exceed expectations across multiple different critical attributes. And so that was really great. And what they also found was that this was translating. So all this activity they were doing on in EX was really translating into better customer experiences too, which really included improving how customers perceive their agent's knowledge and the expertise and the trust that they placed in the bank and the customer support they provided and, the, and ultimately the value the customer felt they were getting from that transaction, that interaction. So that's just one example that we've seen going on within when you're starting to implement these big programs. And I do understand that in terms of all this employee experience initiative, it would result in a lot of engagement with the people. And some of the HR that I'm speaking with right now, they are also commenting about, am I overdoing it? Am I over-engaging with my people? Is there a line where people can refer to, am I under-engaging, over-engaging? What's the best practices for companies to look at? I, we get this, this question all the time, Adrian. And what we find is, People wonder, am I asking for feedback from my employees too much because I've got this new, let's call it this new tool that I can use to go out and get all this feedback. And I got to make full use of it. So I got to ask all the questions. And I've got to make full use of it and ask all these questions. And so the, the short answer is, let's look at the feedback from our employees. It's ironic there. Let's go and ask the, our employees what they think about that. I can tell you this, from our data, and we've done this data consistently over the number of years now. When we go and ask employees across the globe, how often would you like to give, get, give your feedback on how the organization is going as a whole? So that is referring to like your engagement style census surveys. A lot of employees, majority of them said, I'm happy to do that every six months. Now we had some different um, outliers here. Those who are a little bit of an older generation, and I'm not here to put around age, those older generation were saying, you know what, I'm actually happy to do that every nine to 12 months. But those who are younger were happy to do it every 12, every three months. And so what you start to see is that people have got different ways in what they want to do in relation to giving feedback. Now that is just in relation to a, a like your census survey. Now within the world of employee experience, there's lots of experiences that are going on that we want to track and talk about. And so if I'm going through a candidate journey, if I'm a candidate coming into your organization and I get asked for the feedback of how my journey is going, that's actually going to be a nice differentiator because for me, I'm going to be taken back by that and going, let me give you the feedback of how this is going. I didn't like that the recruiter told me that they were going to call me back today, but they haven't called me back for three days and it made me anxious think I was going to get that job. And so they were happy to give that feedback. And they're happy to give it at different points because if you ask somebody to reflect back at the end of a candidate experience, they won't remember every different aspect of that journey. Likewise, within an organization, we, there's no problem going and asking somebody what's happening with your onboarding process so at the same time doing your census survey. So you start to see that people create a culture of transparency, people create a culture of it's okay to listen and people want to, employees have this innate want to give feedback about what's happening in their uh, workplace. In fact, if you don't ask them for feedback, that has a detrimental effect on employee uh, engagement, retention, et cetera, around that. And so that's probably the critical thing that people need to really think about. 
Now, the other aspect to that question that a lot of our listeners would want to be thinking about is what happens on Monday? I just picked a random day here. And the census survey is coming out. The person's also going through a promotion and we want to get feedback on that promotion experience. Whilst at the same time, there's a team diagnostic coming out and there's another particular feedback that the organization wants to get. Do we send them all to that person at one hit? This is where technology, like in Qualtrics, you can actually sit there and prioritize these different feedback channels to say, this one takes precedent over the other one. Please send that one out tomorrow. And this is where you start to get very sophisticated in your programs, where you need to look holistically across what's going on. When are these different uh, touch points happening? But also let the technology help you work out when and what's going to be sent out on what different day. It sounds very much like something a marketing department would be familiar with as they reach out to their audience or their customers or prospects and to know what to sequence and what to prioritize. And I appreciate what you mentioned earlier on. If you're trying to figure out whether you are asking too many questions, too little questions, just go and ask your people because they will definitely know know best. And maybe you can also give a reference. So as a Quadrix employee, as well as a recipient to some of the questions that your HR might be asking you on a regular basis, how many questions or how many engagement do you get from your HR department? Yeah. So if we're talking about, say, our Pulse survey, even here at Qualtrics, our Pulse Pulse survey is once every uh, three months, it is 36 questions broken down into different chapters. So we look at major effectiveness, we look at overall engagement, um, and we look at some particular topical areas depending on what's happening in those periods. And that's the amount that we have. Typically, when we see in our engagement surveys at the Pulse level, uh, across all the other organizations we also work with, they see this sweet spot between somewhere between 20 and 35 questions. It's all about the setup with your employee beforehand, letting them know that, hey, this piece of information is really critical. It's going to take you three or five minutes to complete. Please take the time to do this so we can get that information back. But the other part to all of this is we do see organizations declining in their in their participation rates. And they usually come to us and go, how come this has declined? We're getting, we're asking for the feedback. We're doing it regularly. We're doing it every two weeks. We're running these census surveys. And then you stop and you ask them to just think about how often are you asking for this feedback in this same, the same um, format? And they're like, we're doing it every two weeks, every month. And I said, how is that giving your managers the ability? I know you're loving the real-time data, but how's that giving your managers the ability to actually action off the back of that feedback and action in something that employees can see happening and giving it the momentum and the time to mature into a really good output of an action. And that's why we also see that sweet spot between three months. If you're looking at, you put your intervention in place, then check in potentially three months later, or if it's a highly sensitive task, you need to do that more sooner. But that's the bit that you see is it's all about the actions you take. If employees can see your actions, then they'll actually go and give, they'll give you more and more feedback as you go. You mentioned about 36 questions broken into different chapters. I would imagine for anyone new who is trying to implement this, coming up with the 36 questions could be a bit challenging. How could they receive some guidance on the right things to ask, even though this might be unique to each of the organizations out there? Are there certain references, templates that they could look at in order to ensure that they're asking the right questions? Yeah, Adrian, thanks for pointing that out. 
I think this is the thing that a lot of organizations can get a bit lost in to start with. They're like, I know I need to go and ask in my employees about how engaged they are and what that looks like, but how do I do that? What does that look like? What's my question sets look about? Now, in the Qualtrics platform, we have what we call XM solutions that turn key solutions with a couple of clicks of a button. You could fire up within about 10 minutes, your annual engagement survey. If you want to just go straight out to everybody, it gives you a structure of the different question sets that you want and where you might want to go and explore. And so typically people will explore a, a, the engagement and how engaged people are. So getting that set of questions, which is usually three questions to five questions max. Then they'll pick and select some different drivers, some things that we know that the organization is doing that may impact on the engagement, right? And that's sitting in there. That's almost what I'd call a classic framework of driving uh, and understanding engagement within an organization. Now, how you measure engagement, that has been tried and tested. There is so much depth and research out there on the engagement questions that you want to ask that it is standard across the industry with that. You might see some different flares from different organizations from they trying to enhance their consulting or something, but in, in essence, across the research, that's very standard, which is great. It means that organizations can be very confident in what they're going and doing with that. The other element that we're seeing now, and this is during COVID and as a result of the pandemic, we've seen wellness intent to stay, um, employee experience or an experience gap measure all coming up and also diversity, equity, inclusion all coming up as key metrics that organizations want to be studying and looking at as well. And so that now moves us out of a world of reporting just a single engagement score into a world where we're reporting probably five key metrics that gives you a really balanced understanding of how the organization is going in employee experience. You mentioned about hybrid and with this pandemic situation going on, I can imagine that the kind of explosion that would happen within the employee experience phase, and has that changed drastically? How has it touched on how company were to affect employee experience in terms of the quantity or maybe even the way they actually bring this about to their employees? Yeah, the pandemic, and I mentioned this right earlier on, was that, that third forcing element in relation to employee experience. It really required every organization to think differently on how they were going to understand the experiences people were having because people's experiences had significantly changed. And so what that meant was whilst a lot of organizations and some of the great ones that we've worked with kept in place their, their engagement, annual engagement or their biannual engagement, they kept in place their pulsing, et cetera. They also pivoted because they could on these platforms, like with Qualtrics, they could instantly pivot and run what a working remote experience is like for you. And so they could understand from people, well, how productive do you think you're going to be sitting at home with your, your loved ones in the same room while she's schooling, or doing homeschooling, you've got your partner there and they're working remote as well. What's this new experience going to be looking like and how that is going to impact on your journey? not only impact on your productivity, but what about, do you have the right tools to do your own job now? And so it's now allowed them to move out of just looking at engagement, but working at looking at your work enablement and how enabled you are to go and do your job is other areas that they started to explore and check in on, which was really great. Now, what they found and a lot of organizations found was as a result of these quick 
um, surveys out to the organization to find out what the working experience was like. They could action off the back of it really quickly and they could start putting in place ways to help the employee have a better working experience, which remember that what I talked about before, which was the best thing about listening programs and, and your employee experience programs is the actions that you do. You're creating a culture of experience within there and that drives employee engagement. And so guess what happened in the last 18 months is we saw employee engagement significantly increase because all these amazing organizations were out there listening and acting off the back of it. Take for instance, our working remote solution. We had about 55,000 people turn that on within the first uh, three months of us putting it in the world from March uh, last year, which is a phenomenal amount of people out there trying to understand their world and what's happening in the employee experience in, in a, the world of working remote. So that's critical that we see around that. And of course, we've been talking about all the active feedback that you'll be getting from your employees. I also do understand that you can also get a passive feedback from your employees, things like maybe the interaction with their people, email logs, uh, sentiment yeah. analysis on what they shared on Teams, on their chat platforms. What's your take on getting those passive data points? Do they have a part to play in employee experience? Yeah, so like we've been talking a lot about is that active feedback and getting it to, reaching out saying, can you give us some feedback? What we're seeing now is an emerging of the, the passive feedback. And now the, the key one there is some people will be thinking, is that big brother listening to me now? If I'm going to start collecting passive feedback and looking at how people are chatting on Slack or on Teams or uh, looking through my emails and how I'm connecting with it. So there is a caution I always throw out when we start to activate and turn on passive listening is that we need to be looking at this from an aggregate level never from an individual level. So that's a key one with that. But certainly looking at, say, organizational network analysis, which is where you're taking people's way they're communicating with each other, whether that's through Slack, email, calendar, all of those combined. And you can start to understand the different networks that people have within the organization. If there's any key people who have what's going on in that space is really important. So they're nice little um, passive tools that we're seeing out there to also by just analyzing the way people are chatting within Slack or in Teams to give you an idea of what's happening with the mood of the organization uh, at that time. So they're the sort of things we're starting to see, but they need to be coupled with the active. And that's the key one around that is it's not going to be all passive from now on and no more active. It's going to be a combination between the two. I think passive is something that will turn on in the next five to seven years. It's something that people are starting to think about, but it's not something that is first port of call when it comes to employee experience programs. Thank you so much for the explanation and uh, really wonderful speaking with you and learning more about employee experience. So what's next on the roadmap for Quadrix? What are you guys planning for over this year and next year? I think the key one for us to be thinking about is this hybrid workforce and what does it look like as we're coming out of this pandemic? And I think that's the, the key one that I really think about and what's happening with the future of work and how people are then using that to elevate their employee experience programs. And so one of the key things I think we need to think about, I know a lot of organizations are grappling with which hybrid work model I should go with, whether it should be 100% remote, uh, on-site, and then a little bit remote, or all on-site and a fraction bit remote, or people can be flexible. There's so many different models that people can have. I think it's really critical that people actually don't get so focused on the hybrid work model because you're going to you're going to adjust it as you go. I think what's really critical 
is that people understand the downstream implications of the model that you pick. And the reason why I say that is we've just recently finished a bunch of research with a thousand responders actually in Singapore who, who really, we asked them to talk about and, and get some information around the hybrid workplace and most importantly, the impact on their employee experience. And so from this, we found some really interesting insights. And this is what I'm talking about in relation to downstream impact around the, these people who in their employee experience program. So for instance, 42% of respondents said that their in-office work is that, sorry, let me start that again. So what we found, let me go that. We found that 42% of respondents said the in-office workers will have a career advantage. So if you go into the office, you're going to have a career advantage. 49% said they would feel pressured to work in the office when restrictions were relaxed. Now, we also found that women are more likely to feel they were negatively impacted working remote. So a great volume of women, we believe, will be working remote. With, this would impact their pay rise, their chance for promotion, visibility to leadership, and positive performance review. So just there, you're seeing a downstream potential impact that we need to go and manage for. So another one we saw in the research was employees age 45 or above demonstrated the biggest concern about coming into this hybrid world and what that might mean, because they weren't sure if, how that was going to impact on their pay and performance and responsibility. And we know that over a third of our respondents said that working remote to them means that they won't be visible to leadership. So the individual contributors said that this was going to be a big concern. And so was the C-level executives said this was going to be a concern. And so there's a number of gaps, downstream implications that we need to think about as we're moving to this uh, new world of work and what it looks like. That's going to be really critical. So I think that's a key thing we're working on and we're thinking about and helping organizations around. The second one is now people have put these employee experience programs in place. They've been using them during the pandemic. They want to reach out and put together a more um, synchronized program of works, very strategic over a period of time so that they can start to really justify the, the dollars and the amount of effort they're putting into these programs. And that's going to be a critical one that as you start to go and build your programs out, that you can start to track the impact. And we saw, and I mentioned before, on what was happening with Standard Charters and there's other banks and, and telcos, et cetera, that show that the impact of their employee experience program is significant on customer and revenue, et cetera, around that. And so executive teams are going to want to understand that, but you have to give it time. Have to give it time to collect the data, time to show that impact, and that's going to be critical over that period of time. So that's the second thing, thinking about your return on investment in those programs. And the third thing that I think is most critical is when people are using this new technology and using platforms like Qualtrics, we've been talking a lot about the aggregate data and the impact around that, but there is personal and individual impact. So the last thing I'll talk about here is an example of this was, you know, during a recent quarterly survey, that quarterly engagement survey that this company had released, within two hours of the program opening up, a participant shared in their feedback that they were feeling suicidal. And they shared that in the feedback and the open in a text. And the Qualtrics technology was able to alert to those keywords and it immediately sent out an, a, a ticket to the HR team to say, hey, this has been a, a warning. We need to do something about it. 
they're able to engage in an anonymous conversation with the person. And then through that, they're also able to reach out to the department and the team leaders and educate them around helpful information, ERP contacts, and upskill them on how to have conversations around mental health and, and what to do when somebody raises that they're suicidal. So they're able to impact that person and the surrounding people around them just by putting together this active um, feedback program in place. And so we see as we're moving forward, these employee experience programs are going to have impact both at a business aggregate level, which is fantastic, at the customer level, which is also fantastic, and then also at the individual level, because people are going to be having these really great experiences with their managers and their, their companies as they're going forward. Even at individual level, people just love to be heard. And yes. that would really be great and helpful for them to just share what's on their mind and for the companies to get the collective wisdom and the inputs from the people across countries, across geographies, to really provide that unique selling proposition or the unfair advantage that they have as a business. And mm -hmm. to your earlier point about for companies that might be still having the limit on whether should we go hybrid, go back to office entirely or full remote has been a common theme across this discussion. Go and pause your employee. They will provide you with the best input of what to do next. And with that, thank you so much, Steve, for coming onto the show. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Hunt Show.